Hey guys, I'm excited to get back here with you. And uh, missions at this church is an important part of our DNA at WCAG. Uh, we believe that God has given us a mission as a church to reach the world for Jesus Christ by the year 2030. Uh, we are going to be planting churches, supporting missionaries, and doing projects in every country of the globe. And uh, we are excited about what God is doing. Today, we have an incredible opportunity to hear uh, a young man, a young woman. They are missionaries today. They're going to be sharing God's word with you. And uh, it is Garrett and Tara Kenyon. Uh, they are great friends of ours here at Wofford City Assembly of God. We help send them on the field. We support them on a monthly basis. Uh, they do uh, incredible school assemblies where they tell kids about Jesus. They do conferences uh, for young women, teenage women. Uh, this last year, Year, they had uh, 2,500 young women uh, from Panama attend that were unsaved that attended this conference to hear about Jesus. Uh, between 2,500 and 3,000 each year, God is moving in Panama, a very difficult place to minister, but we're excited to have. Would you welcome this morning some of our heroes uh, today, Garrett and Tara Kenyon. She wants the mic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know. <laughs> it is so good to be with you guys. This place. What happened here? What happened here? That's all <laughs> I've got to say. When we pulled in the Watford City last night, we were like, what happened? <laughs> and the church is amazing. No, we've been following the story of Watford online a little bit and um, all the crazy things that are happening here. It's been completely fascinating. So we've kind of kept an eye on you from a very far distance. Not stalkers, though. We're not stalkers. No, but we're not stalkers. <laughs> not at all. When we need a little distraction from our own crazy life, we focus on your crazy life. So... Um, <laughs> We just want to thank you so much yeah. for supporting us. I still have a cough drop in my mouth. It's okay. Bear with us. We just got off the field like 14 days ago. So we're readjusting as we pulled in. Um, out of, as we got out of the hotel room, our boys walked outside. And most of you in this place are probably so thankful for this beautiful weather. My boys, the first thing out of their mouth was that it's so cold. Where are the jackets? <laughs> Titus cried for his jacket. My, my youngest was crying for his jacket. So we were jacking up the boys, putting jackets on, and, and we are trying to endure the cold. We're very um, raw, fresh from the field. We got to attend a class even about helping us to re-enter into our own culture and kind of the shock and the emotions that go along with transition, which many of you are familiar with. And so they explained to us how um, don't, not to be surprised if we're in the grocery store and we see the uh, 40,000 choices of cereal boxes and just start crying. Like, why are there so many? I don't know which ones to pick. Or the opposite of, why are there so many stupid boxes? So they warn us that we're going to have these heightened emotions here and there that we'll cry at inappropriate times and laugh at inappropriate times. So we're definitely in the midst of feeling all of that. So 
Thank you for praying with us during this time. But we just want to say thank you for supporting us, for praying with us. I know Garrett's been very faithful at putting our prayer requests out on Facebook and Twitter um, over the past few years because when we went to Panama, it was a new field for us. We had only been like baby missionaries in El Salvador before that. And so we didn't know exactly what we were getting into. We knew that God was calling us to do school ministry. And so we went and we used the one contact we had to start making friends and start meeting people and to start doing ministry in schools. And Garrett's going to talk a lot about this, so I'm just going to do a few brush strokes. Um, But we had the opportunity to minister in the schools, in public schools in Panama City. And we would minister to between 60 and 100 students at a time. And every time we would minister, the Holy Spirit would show up. And the students would, 100% of them would respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. They'd respond to salvation. They'd ask for prayer. And we would just make these little makeshift altars in their school. And it was their safe place. They could tell us things that were going on in their lives that um, they couldn't otherwise confess in other situations. Because this was their safe place. It's school. And so as we began to pray with students at these little makeshift altars, more and more of them began confessing to us the things that they were experiencing. And both girls and boys alike would begin to tell us of abuse that was taking place in their homes and sexual abuse um, that was taking place in their neighborhoods and how um, some of their moms would kick them out because their boyfriends wanted them more than their mom or the little girls whose dads are selling them on the weekends for extra cash on the side or um, several horrific stories like this. And Garrett and I... One day, I think the Holy Spirit had finally got us where he wanted us, and we had had enough. And we met each other. We were with a a team from New Jersey. We met each other in the school, and we just looked at each other crying, like, what are we supposed to do? Why would the Holy Spirit bring us here? What can we possibly offer to these girls? And we just felt overwhelmed. It was that, it was like the ocean song. Like, really, this is what I have to, I have nothing to offer here. And it was just that moment where the the Holy Spirit said, this is why I've brought you here. And I'm going to use you to do this stuff. And it's okay because it's my work. You get to just come alongside me and be my hands and feet. But it's my work to do. It's not your burden to bear. It's mine, and I will use you to do it. And so that is how our ministry kind of um, laser-focused. So we're always still doing student ministry, but now we focus a lot on abuse and exploitation that the students are experiencing in Panama because it's epidemic. It's acceptable in their culture. There's The laws don't protect kids um, or anything like that. So this is the focus of our ministry, and out of that has been birthed a conference that we've done now four years in a row. And again, that was something when Garrett started dreaming that, I was like, no, we cannot do that. We are not smart enough or talented enough, and there is definitely no money to do that. And every year, the Lord has been so faithful to provide because these girls matter to him, and he has a story to write in their in their lives. He has their future and their destiny to be written out his way. And so that is how we've landed now. We just finished our fourth conference two weeks and four days four ago. Four days ago. And there, we have a... Like 20 days ago? We have a video clip that we want to show you of that. And uh, we're going to pop that video clip on and that'll be perfect timing. Okay. We've been ministering in the schools of Panama City, doing evangelistic 
programs in these high schools. We've been seeing amazing results, 100% results. All of the students respond to the gospel. They all want to receive Jesus. They all want the hope that we're offering them. But one day, as we are doing our normal routine, ministering and loving on these kids like we always do, everything changed. Jennifer said, this is my story. Basically, through her words, she described an abusive situation that every single night of her life, her dad rapes her. She said, if your God is so real and loves me so much, can he save my life? We see stories that are horrific, uncomprehensible. We're normally kind of good at compartmentalizing this hard stuff. But this day, the Holy Spirit spoke to us. What you're doing here in the schools, it's just not enough. I have bigger plans for these girls. You have to do more for these young women, for these students in Panama. That video was recorded just a few years ago, and we go on in the video to talk about our dreams and our hopes, and, and now we, after three years, we watched God do something amazing. We launched a girls' conference, and we talk about that in the rest of that video, and we talk about uh, opening a, a refuge center, a, a church, a center, a movement, a place where students would come and get hope. And we launched our girls' conferences, and we watched God do something amazing. In over three years, we now are having over 3,000 girls come, and we're launching into more and more schools. And we finally, 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 starting this Monday, we'll start the remodel project on the El Refuge Urban Ministry Center. It's a place where students will come. It'll be their church. It'll be their center. It'll be um, their hope. We know that God is calling these students to do something much bigger than what the rest of the world and society is telling them that they can do. We know that God has put a special, unique anointing on their lives. We know that God would like to see them be beauty out of ashes and, and restore them to the place where He made them. God's image has been robbed from them, and we know that God wants to restore His image in their lives and set these students apart. We've always said that if we could just get one student, one high school, that one student could change that high school, that high school could change a city, and that city could change a nation, and that nation could change a culture. We believe that. We believe that enough is enough. And we have been praying and interceding and fasting for what God is going to do this year. It's going to be a breakout year for us. And we're coming to you to show you some highlights and video of what God has been doing already in the last couple of years. But also pray with us, believe with us that God would do something amazing. And the ground is beginning to shake. And we believe that that's just the start of what God desires to do in the lives of these high school students here in Panama. Because of you, because of the money that you've given, over 2,000 girls are in this room worshiping their creator. We just want to say thank you. This is what our event is. This is our heart. Thank you for fighting with us. Thank you for believing in us. We believe in a generation that's going to change this nation. That's what we get to do. We get to take little girls that are destroyed and we get to watch God rebuild anew. And I promise I wasn't going to get emotional, but Tara told you we get emotional in inappropriate times. So <laughs> this is my inappropriate. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, we were given a really big task by, the, by God. And the last time I was here in Watford City uh, was not on this amazing platform, which I love 
I love remodels. I'm in a remodel process, and I love this. This is gorgeous. And we talked about, um, and we shared our dream about Panama, and I shared a little bit about Nehemiah from the story of Nehemiah. Those of you that were here, uh, I'm not preaching on Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord. Um, I, I still live Nehemiah's life. But this morning, I want to talk about a little bit something different. Um, and I, I'm going to just be a little bit raw. Is that okay if I can be a little bit open this morning? Because this is kind of where I am right now. And uh, so I'm not going to beat nobody up. No one said amen. All right. I promise I'm not going to beat you up this morning. But I just want to share a little bit from my heart if that's okay. We have an amazing dream that God birthed inside of us. Um, it was a Nehemiah moment. We were in that school and uh, I was just telling Pastor Sheldon backstage that we went in in our first summer, we had seven teams lined up to get into schools. And literally, um, I've done more prayer drives. Um, I probably could have wrote Mark Batterson's book, uh, The Circle Maker, before he wrote it because I lived that book. I was Honai. If you've not read it, it's a great book. I'm not plugging Mark Batterson. He is an amazing writer. But I was that character. I circled the city of Panama for weeks, for days with teams because we could not minister in high schools. Here, I had preached and raised funds to go uh, to Panama to preach the word of God and get into schools, which is what I love to do, and be with students. And here, every time I would walk to a door, a door would shut. Every time. And I was frustrated. And so we just kept praying. And finally, we walked into this public high school, 250 students in a room. And we had a senator that had opened the door for us. And the principal was there. And all of a sudden, I watched God do his thing. And I had groomed a staff already to kind of tell them what I wanted them to do. And I wasn't even leading the program because I don't think I should. I think uh, it's not my gifting to always lead. It's also my gifting to teach. And so I was teaching a staff, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to lead this program. And one of my staff guys who's uh, now with us, um, fully volunteer with us. He, I remember that day, like, like it was yesterday. I remember him looking at me and was like, what do I do? And I just walked up and I said, you just steer this amazing move of God. And the Holy Spirit will guide you. And what had taken place is that we were giving an altar call. And student after student after student after student that would walk forward would begin to fall under the power of God without anybody touching them. I've never seen that before. I've been in high schools in the States. I've been in high schools all over Central America. I've never seen this before. Is this is what we are watching God do? Is this God, is this, is this your moment? And then all of a sudden we began to hear the tale. Girl after girl, boy after boy. Tell us the exact same story. 95% of that room were in an ongoing sexual abuse or exploitation in their home. I won't go into details because I know we have kids here. So parents, I'm going to be really good this morning. But the tales that I heard that day were tales that kept me up for a couple, couple days. And I was like, God, what are you up to? And then God began to speak and it was a Nehemiah moment. Here was our king and we were sitting right there. 
and we heard God speak. This is why you're here. This is why you're here in Panama. And our, and our moment happened and, and we kind of felt a lot like Abraham in that moment because we were given a, a, a promise and, and the child of the promise was given to us in that moment. But as most of us understand the story of Abraham, and that's where we're going to turn to this morning, is that right after you receive the child of the promise, then you receive the amazing trials. Come on, preach. Pastor Sheldon wants to preach for me. I, I can already see it coming. And when you have those moments, it's not all perfect and daisies, or as like we like to say in our house, it doesn't rain gumdrops from heaven. It's not these beautiful days and we're prancing around and everything's gorgeous. It's hard. Come on, church. It's hard. And I was given a dream that was so much bigger than who I am. And my capacity to see the dream fulfilled. And when that happens, the trials are even harder. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me to Abraham. Abraham. (laughs) If you would turn with me to the story of Abraham, to Genesis uh, chapter 22. And we're going to start with verse 1. And uh, I'm going to tell... I'm going to start reading. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Ooh, right there. God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Abraham said to the Lord, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much and go to the land of Morah and go sacrifice him as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains, which I will show you when you arrive. The next morning, Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped up some wood for the fire for a burnt offering and set off for the place that God had commanded him and told him to go. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance and said, stay here with the donkey, he told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further and we will worship there and then we will come right back. Verse six, Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders and while he himself carried the fire and and the knife and as the two of them, they walked together onward. Isaac turned to Abraham and said to his father, father, yes, my son, we have the fire, we have the wood, But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son, Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am I. Don't lay a hand on that boy. Do not hurt him in any way for, for now I know that you truly fear God. And you have not withheld from me, even your own son, your only son. 
I like to add the promise one on that. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in thorns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Father, we love you so much. We are in awe of what you do and what you allow us to do to be a part of your, your great plan, your, your great dream. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Let us understand what this passage uh, means to us in the day and the era that we live in and that we work in, God. God, I ask that you would speak to us soundly and profoundly, God, as you've been speaking to me for the last several months on this passage. Father, I ask that you would reveal to your church, God, some four key characteristics that come out from this story about, about who Abraham was. Things, God, that I believe that we need right now in the time and the place that we live in. God, I ask that this morning that you would birth, as you always do, dreams and visions to your church this morning, God. God, that you would birth something anew. God, that you would speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. This is an amazing story about a father and a son. And sometimes you hear this story, and I know a lot of preachers preach on this sermon, and and I grew up listening to this a lot. I remember hearing a lot. My dad would talk about this, always about the child of the promise and the child of the flesh. And and those those are great things. But there's something that I think that in the The moment that I'm living in right now and and, in my walk with the Lord and seeing where I've, what I've seen the last five years and what I've been walking through with God, that I'm understanding something a little bit different about a dream. When God gives you a dream, the things that it takes of you to see that dream become a reality. And not just that, but things that we challenge our staff on about that. We've got to do everything in our power and our might as much as we have wind in our lungs To reach the promise that Isaac truly was meant to be. And what I mean by that is to reach the lost. No one said amen. I'm a little nervous. Okay. Make sure I said it right. Yep, I did. Okay. In my heart of hearts, more than ever before, I believe that there's something that's going to take place very, very soon across this world. And I'm not coming in to speak on revelation or any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there's a time where our faith as a movement, as a believer in God is going to be tested in a way we've never seen before. And we've got to learn that we've got to stand stronger than we've ever stood before. In the last five years, I've watched God do something amazing in my life. And on this amazing August 16th, it is my anniversary day. 13 years ago, my wife and I got married and we started out on this amazing journey. I had no idea where God was going to take us. I had no idea the things that we would go through. We are very young and we've been tested And if you could see our spiritual man, he would probably look like he's more in his 70s than he is in his 30s. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Our spiritual man looks old. We have been tested. 
And I feel a lot like Abraham because in the last five years, we've watched God bring a promise to us and lay a promise in front of us and said, here you go. This is the promise that I have for you. This Nehemiah moment, this Nehemiah dream, this promise of what is yet to come. And so many times when we get in those moments, when we see God begin to do those things, trials will always come, but those trials build our faith. Every trial is different. Every trial that I walk through is different for me than it is for you. Every trial that you walk through is different. But we all will walk through a trial because it's to build our faith in the one who created us. To strengthen our resolve in the God who is the maker of heaven and earth. Tara and I, we have watched God do some amazing things. And I know I always grew up, love Missionary Sunday because I would always hear these great stories of what God did. And now I'm in that moment and I've literally watched God do some crazy stuff, crazy stuff. I've watched God move in high schools like I have never seen before. I've watched literal students walk to an altar in front of a high school and they were different from the moment that they left their seat and they came down to receive salvation and they walked back. They were a different person. I've watched God do some amazing things and I know God's not done yet. Come on. And in these moments of the last five years, I believe that my wife and I have walked through a trial that has been a one that would resolve us and make us stand stronger than ever before. One that would test us. One that would test not just our faith in who God was, but just test our faith as a staff. Because I was leading a staff through a trial. God had given us our Isaac and we had to lay him in an, on an altar. We had a choice to make. We had heard from God, just like Abraham did. He heard from God. Nehemiah had heard from God. And in those moments when you hear from God and, and you know that you've been given a, a God-given dream and a promise from God, just like Abraham was, and you know that, that in that moment, you have a choice to say, I'll do it or I'll walk away. So. It's not always easy because for me, when I know, when I hear from the Lord that my choice right away in the moment that we talked about on that video, the moment that Tara walked up to me and looked at me and from across the room and said, do you know what I just heard? And I said, no, but do you know what I just heard? And I said, no. And she said, do you know what we have to do? And the next thing out of my mouth was this. I'm not exaggerating. I'm telling you the truth. Don't say it. Because I knew that in that moment, if I spoke what I was feeling, I was saying yes to what God was laying before me. And then it would all break loose for the good. Come on. But I knew the trial was just around the corner too. And I looked at her and I said, don't open your mouth. And I think I did put my finger on your, on your lips. I think I did. Not to shut her down, but just because in that moment I knew that if I would accept that, I was accepting everything that was yet to come. 
Just as Nehemiah said, okay, God, I hear from you. Just as Abraham said, okay, God, I'll receive the promise. And now in this moment, you're asking me to put up my son as a sacrifice. Just as Noah, in his moment, when he was hearing from God to say, build an ark, Noah had a choice. We all have choices. But when we choose to say yes, like I was saying yes, just not verbally in that moment, because I kind of had already sort of said yes five seconds earlier when I was talking to the girl named Jennifer. Without realizing it, I spoke into not to be super spiritual for those in the house, but I spoke into existence our entire ministry that had not yet been thought of in one instance. And I said to her, when she said to me, she said, pastor, if your God is so real, if it's so real, why does he allow this to happen to my life? And if you care so much, what are you going to do about it? Open mouth. And I said, well, my God is real. Because the reason why I'm here is because I'm here for your story. And what I believe is about to come, if you can give me one year, Jennifer, there will be a refuge center for you to get hope and healing and find the God who sent this boy from America. I had already said yes to the promise. We hadn't even labeled the ministry yet. It hadn't been spoken yet, but it was spoken forth. And just as Abraham had received the promise and he moved on and he laid Isaac on the altar and I'm having an iPad issues. Sorry. Sorry. He laid him on the altar and he knew And the thing that I often ponder about in that story is that long walk for Isaac and Abraham from the moment that they left the servants back behind. And they had, we have the the short question between Isaac and Abraham and, and we don't really, there's no other dialogue there. And I'm a little ADHD, so I play everything out in movie format in my mind as I read the word of God. It's all right. It's how I was created and also video game format. Um, it's all good. God still loves me. So does my bride. But I often wonder what that moment looked like. What other things did they talk about? What did, what did Abraham say to his son, knowing that this is what God was asking him to do in this moment? I'm walking you to kill you now, my son. I'm sure that's not what he said. Turn and I have two amazing little boys. And the last time we were here in Watford, we had one. And I don't know if we really talked about the miracle of our firstborn. But our second one, we had tried from the, for years to have another child. And for me, my second born came at the moment that our entire ministry came. And Titus was a true promise from God for us. 
a promise for us to literally remember every moment about this dream that God had put us on this journey with. Because when we walked in um, to have a doctor's appointment with Tara, when we were in Panama to her, her doctor there, he looked at us and said, how did you have a child? Because you can't. And I said, well, it's a, it's a miracle. Obviously, we had people praying and we believed that this was, Malachi was a miracle. And he said, yeah, you won't have another child. And he said, we can do a couple things and we scheduled a surgery that was an in and out surgery. And literally the moment that the dream was birthed, Titus was birthed. So for me, as I look back on my walk in the last three years with Titus, I can't imagine how Abraham felt walking with his son, those hundred yards, those hundred feet, that mile, that two mile walk, whatever that looked like. I can't imagine that conversation because I don't ever want to have that conversation with my youngest. Yep. You were promised by God. You were given to me. Now I'm going to sacrifice you. And in this story, we see that Abraham is having this moment and we always get excited because we know the ram is just around the corner. But for Abraham, it was one of probably the most heart-wrenching things he ever had to do. When God gave us this dream and we watched it burst. we would grab onto this key that some of you may know about and some of you may not. But the last time I was in Watford, your pastor walked up to my wife and I and he had a word from the Lord and he gave us these keys that I still hold on to. We will always be walking through trials. And your pastor said that this key would represent every door that would ever be locked. The key would represent that you hold the key to unlock every door that you desire. Hallelujah. For the last five years, we've held on to these keys. In faith, it was a moment that we needed to hear, not knowing where God was going to send us, not knowing where, what God was going to lay before us. But we held on to these keys because we knew that not just the keys were significant to tyrannize life, but now after the last five years where God has taken us, these keys also re represent a generation that needs to know that every door that they walk through will be unlocked for them. Because as I told pastor backstage that we aren't just plowing on new soil, we're plowing concrete. I've got to rip up concrete to see the soil come back to life. We're restoring. We're seeing God's redemption power come. That's the promise that has been given to us. It's, a, it's an inspirational one. One that put us in a situation that was crazy and we knew that God was up to something. We knew that God was going to do something remarkable. We just didn't know when or how or what. And it literally came out of nowhere. It's a wow God moment. Just like Abraham, it was a wow God moment. There's a ram. And God says, wait. For Tara and I, the dream that we were being tested on, God needed to know that for me, 
Would I be unwavering? Would I stand strong in my faith? Because people around us were coming up against us and saying, oh, you're this or oh, you're that. But for me, God needed to know those things. And in Acts chapter 4, we find ourselves, there's a story here. And there's a trial that's happening with the Holy Spirit had just broken out in Acts chapter 2. And we're moving on to Acts chapter 4. And John and Peter were standing before the the Sanhedrin and they were put on trial because of things that had just taken place and they had just preached to the multitudes and, and the numbers of the church were growing and exploding. And for them, they were put on a literal trial. And in verses 17, 18 and 19, there's a few Abraham characteristics that I want to pull out from. Things that I believe that were characteristics of Abraham and the walk that he went through in his trial and things that I believe that we need to hold on to and things that Tara and I have held on to for the last few years. In verse 17, it highlights just a little bit. And, and there we find that Abraham had a belief in God. He believed that God would see him through. He knew that God would do something amazing in and through his life. And that he knew that no matter what would happen, God would fulfill the promise that he had been given so long ago. So in that moment, as he's placing Isaac on this altar of, of this wood, he believed that God was still God. Well, if I'm this old and Sarah's that old, well, God, okay, you could do it again, I guess. Here's my son. He believed in a God. He believed in a God that created him. He had faith, which led to hope. Hope. For our girls that come to our girls' conference year after year, They've never walked into a church before. They've never, other than us walking into a public high school, they've never heard about the message of hope. They've always been understood that if they walk into a church that they'll be condemned. Because the things that they're walking through and the abuse that they're living in their lives is their fault. It's the mentality that every student that we encounter believes that that's what the church is going to treat them as that they're just sinners they have no hope and so for abraham he had faith which led to hope and for us when we walk into schools and we preach a message of 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 life and redemption and we talk about a god who loves you we talk about a god who has hope for your future because i believe that the day is coming that every girl that we've encountered in one of our school programs or our conferences is going to rise up and go into the field and become pastors and ministers and preachers because I have faith, which is now leading to hope. His faith was never weakened. I'm sure in that long walk, there was probably a lot of times that he probably questioned God a lot. I know that I would. I know that I have. I know that when our national churches were coming kind of against us a little bit, not all of them just felt like it. Just there was just really one because they didn't like what we were doing. That I questioned what we were doing in Panama. 
There were a lot of times we both did. There were a lot of times that I wanted to quit. Wanted to. Didn't, but wanted to. And Pastor Sheldon says, amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Because no matter what trial comes, we must not allow our faith to be weakened. What weakens our faith? For a lot of us, it's different. For me, what weakens my faith is when people come against my integrity. I'm a man of integrity. I I hold very true to that. I work very hard at that. My wife will laugh. If you go on our Facebook page, on our ministry Facebook page, we'll walk into schools and we take pictures. And I'm very awkward in photos for a a very reason because I'm protecting my integrity. So when we take a a photo with, with a student, like I don't put my arms around people. I like leave them out like this. It's very awkward. People make fun of me all the time, but it's because I don't ever want it to be questioned that I did something inappropriate. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? Because that is, I know that's the thing that I fight. Because I know that that's my weak spot. If the enemy wants to get at me, he will start attacking me on my integrity. And he did in the last five years. We must not allow ourselves, our faith to ever be weakened. Lastly, in verse 19 in Acts 4, 19, we get a highlight of, of a Abraham characteristic. And in that, we can pull out that Abraham never wavered. Just like in front of the Sanhedrin, our apostles, our great men of God that watched God move and watched the Holy Spirit move and come down, they never wavered in front of the Sanhedrin. Peter who I just read uh, yesterday, someone wrote on, on the Facebook, uh, someone wrote on, on the Facebook. Wow, that was bad. I'm, I really dated myself on that one. On Facebook, someone wrote, one of my friends wrote on there that Jesus told Peter that I will build my church on you. You will be the rock. And out of that, someone added, my friend added to this quote and said, God sees what we don't see in us. Where we would see our failures, God sees the things that we don't yet see. A very profound statement because here Peter, who had denied Jesus, standing before the Sanhedrin, could deny again, but he did not allow his faith to waver. Abraham laying his son on an altar never wavered one bit. This was God's promise. I will not waver. You created a son, you could create another. And then, bam, there was a ram. Just so happened to be stuck. And God said, wait. Noah, another great man of God, was given a dream. And for Noah, Noah's dream is a little bit different And in the last few years and last few weeks, I've kind of felt like Noah, I'm not a construction guy. Can you tell? Um, I don't really know a lot about construction, but in the last several months, I've had to know a lot about construction because we're remodeling a center, a place of hope. And so I've had to learn how to do things that I was never taught by my dad because he wasn't a construction guy either. And in Panama, 
There's the Panamanian way, and then there's the right American way. (laughs) And in the Panamanian way, you just kind of look at it and be like, now I don't know a lot about construction. (laughs) But it seems to me that if we would try to do the American approach on that, that would just make more sense. Right, guys? No, no, no. Brother, that's not how we do it. We do it this way. Right, okay. As long as it doesn't fall down and still stands, we're okay, I guess. And for me, I've, I've, I've just, I've literally felt like Noah. Because when Noah was given the promise that a flood was going to come and you need to build an ark and, you know, you need to start building. For Noah, Noah's unwavering faith to the Lord in his trial was every time he took a hammer And he nailed in a peg into wood. It was his testament that he believed what God had spoken would come. Every time he waved a hammer, he was literally saying to everyone around him, I've heard from God of gods, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who spoke life into existence. I believe that that God is saying that we've got to get our lives right before this flood comes. And I'm going to build this boat and I'm going to save who I need to save. Every single time he took that hammer and he would nail and he would pound and he would take his uh, cutter and he would begin to cut the wood and begin to make sure that the pieces and the, and, and the planks were perfect and pristine and he would put that on and they would put on the tar it was him making his statement i heard from god i will see this promise become a reality so every time this city boy would take a hammer or we would cut wood or we would lay block we would make a statement We will not leave this generation. I will not waver. I will allow faith to turn into hope for the lives of a generation because every single person has spoken disaster and calamity on this generation. And enough is enough. We need to continue to build for the promise. No matter what comes our way, Noah was a righteous man. Nehemiah was a believer. Nehemiah laid block and made a profound statement that he heard from God. Church, we must believe in a God who can do all things. We must have faith that leads to hope. We must have faith that isn't weak. And we must not waver. We live in a crazy time. Just watch the news. Or Facebook feed. The last time we were here... Watford had not just yet was on the verge, you would say, probably in your explosion. Am I right? In the church and then the city. You are a beacon. 
You are a promise in a city. Hear me, church. You need to be a church that does not waver. You need to be a church that is not weak in your faith. You need a church. You need to be a church that believes in a God who created all things around us. But you need to be a church that believes in their faith will lead to hope. I love this pastor. And the last time we were here, we connected on a level that not most missionaries get to connect to pastors. Not that we're best friends on Facebook or anything, but God brought us together. It was a very spiritual thing. I believe, and I I know that at that moment, you were right on the verge of like the church exploding as well. And I believe that you guys are, are pointed in a place to see this city do something that your church is to see this. I want to get it right. I'm sorry. You are positioned in the right place. Some of you have been praying for a long time that God would do something amazing in this city for generations. And the word that I have for you is the same word that I kind of already gave to you in that room. When I was saying for myself, but this is really also for you. You have ripped up concrete on soil. So concrete had been put on top of soil. And that concrete has been ripped up now. And underneath is soil that had seed had already been planted. Come on, listen. And, and it's like watering has already taken place. And what you're about to see in this city is fruit and harvest is about to come like you've never seen before. But hear me, church. It's the same thing that I'm explaining and teaching to our staff right now. There's a lot of crazies in the world. Be love. Be hope. Trials will always come for us. They will always come. And they always come right before God's shine moment happens. Hear me. I have walked through the most brutal, heart-wrenching five years that I thought, wow, Lord, this is real ministry. I, I'm done with this. This is hard. I don't want to be a big kid. I just want to be a teenager again. And now I'm watching God shine. There's a reason why in scriptures it says the better days are yet to come. I know that you have had some trials, I'm sure. But I'm telling you, there's something that is about to shake from the foundation of this city 
And this church is going to lead the way in a way you have never seen before. So get ready. You sit in a miracle. You sit in a miracle. This is a miracle building. Am I right? If not, there's a wall of puzzles out there that you can touch and realize that it's a miracle building. This is a miracle. Get ready for what's about to come. Father, I know that you are doing something anew in all of us. And this morning, God, I know that this is a, uh, maybe a different message than, than what uh, is normally preached on. Father, I ask that your church would take heed in the words that were spoken this morning, God, that they would walk out of this place and they would not allow their faith to ever waver. God, that they would not allow their faith to ever become weak. God, that they would believe in you, the God who created the heavens and the earth and the God who still believes in a generation that's lost and dying and a God who still knows and seeks, God, the lost sheep, a God who wants to put his people in the right place at the right time to say, here you are. Here's the sheep. They're coming towards you. All you have to do is speak love. You're a God who still loves. You're a God who still redeems. You're a God who still cares about the lost. And you're a God who loves for when the trial is over. For all of us to stand in awe because you did it. You're still shining, God. Father, I ask that this amazing church would be used in a powerful way, not just. To reach Watford City. But the entire state. And nations. It's not by happenstance. That this church is here. God I ask that we would see fruit come. In a tremendous way. God, that we would see the better days yet to come. Continue to move on your people. Continue to speak in powerful ways, God. I'm excited for what the next six years are going to be for Watford City. And I'm excited to watch from afar, God, how you are going to shine your light. And through this church, that it is a beacon in this city, in this county, in this state. That people would be drawn to it. That wherever we are, every member in this church that's sitting here that is a part of this amazing church, God, that wherever they are, people would be drawn to them. And they would speak life. In the dry bones. 
Father, we love you so much. Bless this place. Bless pastor. Bless the staff. Thank you for your word this morning.